CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're glad you've joined us. We always are. And we spend this time every weekday afternoon answering questions about the Bible, from the Bible, looking at current events through a biblical perspective. What we hear in church, when you read your Bible, you come across something you don't understand, call us. That's why we're here. We want to do our very best to give you what the Bible has to say. You know, so many things are going on right now in the world that if you don't know Jesus, man, I'll tell you, today's the day. Never do today what you can do tomorrow. Today, the Bible says, is the appointed day of salvation. So you can be about your father's business. You know, the whole world right now, everyone, is being duped. That's right, being lied to by the United Nations, Biden, the Democratic Party, um, the American news media, you know, you hear a clamoring all over. I was looking earlier at the news, cease fire for Israel, cease fire for Israel, cease fire for Israel. Oh, that's what they want. You know, it's what's really weird. And this is why, you know, your media, why these, why the UN, all these people are all goofed up. Not one word about Hamas surrendering who started the war. That's right. Think about it a minute. Now, doesn't that seem out unbelievable? If Hamas was to surrender, well, the, where everything would be done. But they won't do that. You see, this shows you how biased and how bigoted the Democrat Party is. Hey, listen, they're the ones that caused Joe to change a lot of his viewpoints on uh, support of Israel. When you look and see what's going on with some of the Tabib and these others in the in the House and Senate, when you look at this up close, you realize, everyone, we're being lied to on a wholesale scale. Again, no call anywhere in the world for Hamas to resign. Isn't this strange? Well, joining us today, we have with us special guest and um, fellow, fellow uh, minister here that uh, is with us all the time, Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel, Festus, Missouri. Hi and welcome. Hi, Mike. It is great to be with you again on a, on a Monday, starting off another week of answering our listeners' questions. And it's always a highlight of my week and such a joy to be with you. And also, Mike, thank you so much. It's always a joy, too, uh, for us to share our teachings from our church via CSN to all the stations across the country and around the world on the Internet. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of response. We have a lot of people who call and write us and say they heard us on CSN. And it's just so great to know that there are a few mediums still left out there that are willing to to give the word of God just as it is. And of course, CSN is, I believe, the leader of that. So anyway, Mike, it's great to be with you today. Scott's good to have you with us. And uh, so what's your take on this? Everybody, this this message of ceasefire and uh, Israel's violence all over from, from the United Nations to everything. It, it was so bad, everyone, in the United Nations that the representative from Israel put on the six-pointed yellow star that Hitler made all the Jews where it said Juden on it. They put that on as they were addressing the United Nations. 
That's how bad it is. And by the way, America has never seen the real pictures of the atrocities there on October 7th. From from uh, uh, the Hamas freedom fighters trying to chop off a man's head with a garden hoe. You, you didn't see any of this stuff. They didn't want you to see it. And so, you know, when you really look at this, what the, they were, I, I, I listened to a program the other day, I believe it was on Newsmax, where the guy actually had an opportunity to watch what was shown uh, to the Congress, a closed-door session, and he said, these people were animals, total animals. And he said, I don't believe Israel should ever stop until this is resolved. And I agree. And again, when I don't hear the United Nations calling for Hamas to surrender, who started the war, I know they're corrupt. When I don't hear the Democratic Party saying the same thing, I know they're corrupt. When I don't hear the American news media clamoring for Hamas to surrender, I know they're corrupt. You see, we're all being lied to. And again, the Bible tells us in the last days, it's going to get worse and worse. You need to be about your father's business. You need to let your light shine. Be salty. Be about your father's business. Because I believe we're running out of time. Well, Scott, let's go ahead and go to the phones. 8888 ask CSN is the number to call. Melissa, Oregon, hi, welcome. Thank you. I noticed that the parameter of the tabernacle is the length of Noah's Ark. So I was calling to see what is the significance between Noah's Ark and the tabernacle, if there is any. Well, Melissa, great observation. Your thoughts? Wow. Yeah, I never considered that, actually, and uh, and looked at it that way. I do know this, Melissa, that um, the tabernacle itself, according to Hebrews chapter 8, uh, there's a wonderful verse there in verse 5 that actually says that the priesthood that served God at the tabernacle, and then, of course, later the temple, but at the tabernacle, that all of that, the priesthood, the worship that went on there, and the tabernacle itself, it says it serves as a copy and shadow of heavenly things. And it, then it talks about how Moses was instructed by God uh, to build the tabernacle and to make it to make it according to the pattern that was shown to Moses on the mountain. And so what's interesting is we know this, that, that Noah's Ark was a picture of God preserving Noah and his family uh, through the judgment, through the flood. It was an ark of safety. Uh, there are some who, when they teach that, they will say, they'll, they'll make the comparisons of Noah being in the ark and escaping the judgment as as a picture of salvation in Christ. And you can certainly make that case because it was God, after Noah built the ark, it was God who then shut Noah and his family in the ark. Uh, God also told Noah to to use pitch uh, on the outside and the inside of the ark, usually uh, basically using it as a sealant uh, to to seal the ark. And so what's interesting is is pitch 
in that day and time had this red tint to it. So it was like being covered and sealed uh, by blood. And people make that connection to the blood of Jesus and, and say it's a type of salvation. There's others, which I believe that, that Noah and his family were a picture of and a type of uh, the nation of Israel who is going to go through the tribulation in the future, but God is going to preserve a remnant of that nation until the very end, and uh, and then they'll go into the millennial reign. So it's really interesting when you look at that. The whole picture of Noah's Ark was basically, again, uh, an Ark of Salvation or an Ark of Safety. Um, and when you look at the tabernacle, the whole point of the tabernacle was for God to dwell with his people, the nation of Israel, as they traveled through the wilderness and then came into the land, for God to dwell among his people and for the people to have a system of worship whereby they can have their sins uh, cleansed through the sacrifices that they offered and be able to come to God uh, and to worship him. So here's what's interesting. When you look at the tabernacle itself, Everything in the tabernacle, and this is a big Bible study, but everything in the tabernacle is a type and a shadow, according to according to Hebrews eight, of of the uh, the throne of God. Like for instance, the the Ark of the Covenant is is literally a representation of God's throne, uh, because in the inner sanctum of the tabernacle, you had the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where the the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory, would come down upon there and meet with the priest. It's also interesting because the Jews – now, I want you to get this. It's, it's interesting because everything in the tabernacle was a physical representation of God's presence and, and, and God's throne in heaven, okay? But what's also interesting, it's all a picture of the Messiah, Jesus, and what he would do to provide salvation and redemption for us. And what's interesting is the Jews referred to the tabernacle as the way – the truth and the life because there were three entrances to get into God's presence in the Holy of Holies for the priest. There was the door on the outside. Then there was, or, I'm sorry, there was the gate at the outside on the fence. Then there was the door. And then there was the Holy Holies where the very presence of God was. The Jews called that the way the door or the gate was the way, the only way into the tabernacle. Then there was the door actually that would lead you into the actual tent and then the the that was called the truth, and then the life was where God dwelt, and that was beyond the uh, the veil. And so, what's interesting is when Jesus said in John fourteen six, "I am the way, the truth, and the life," he was actually saying to his disciples who knew all about the tabernacle, "Listen, that was all speaking of me. The only way to get to God is through faith in what I will do when I die on the cross and resurrect." Um, and also what's interesting is if you read, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, there's a, there's a, there's a verse in verse 20 that actually says that Jesus own body was a representation or it was the fulfillment of the veil that was actually in the tabernacle and that that veil was Jesus body or his flesh. And so when he again died on the cross for us, he opened the way for us to come directly to God, to his presence and, and to have fellowship with him. So it's an amazing thing. So that, you know, the connection, uh, between, uh, Noah's Ark and the, 
uh, tabernacle. Uh, to be honest with you, I never looked at the measurements like that. Uh, but really both of them, uh, were types and shadows, um, of what Jesus would do and of salvation and, and redemption. So Mike. Yeah. And, and, um, something that, uh, we have to remember and, and I don't think that's by accident, Melissa, that they have the same because in the ark, in those dimensions, there was life. Outside of the ark, during the punishment of God, there was death. Now, inside the ark of the, uh, of the covenant, as an example, you have life. Outside man's way, there's death. And it is interesting to me that this idea of an ark or that which is in it is preserved or holy, I believe is the same thing. Because inside the Ark of the Covenant, we found a, a, a jar of manna, which brought life to the children of Israel. We find the Ten Commandments there in, in there as well. And then we found Aaron's rod that had budded, which was not just the stick, but that stick then turned into a, 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 a snake and then turned back into a stick again. So when you look at it, inside the ark, there's life. Inside the, the um, ark of the covenant, there's life. I don't think that's by accident that those numbers are the same. And in fact, what is interesting in the very last verse of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, uh, verse 25, and I'll just read it. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in an ark in Egypt. The word there is coffin in the English Bible, but actually it's the word ark, interestingly enough. Um, I think this idea of the same measurements, that there's life inside and there's no life outside when we compare the Ark of the Covenant to Noah's Ark, I don't think those measurements are in any way by accident. I hope that helps. That does. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. God is good, dear. And if you need, uh, please stay on the line. And uh, uh, we'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, the movie Jesus, especially great this time of the year. And so stay on the line, Melissa. Merry Christmas to you. Let's go to Gloria. Collinsville, Illinois. Hi and welcome. Uh, hi, you might to mute. So I have a question. If you, um, the book of Colossians, the third chapter, seventeenth verse, I wanted to know if you'll expound on like the end of that um, verse, the scripture of God being um, the Father and God. If you'll just expound on that, and then also, if you would clarify Jeremiah, the tenth chapter. A lot of people think that, but um, those trees. A lot of people won't uh, celebrate Christmas with Christmas trees because they think they're talking about, you know, that Jeremiah 10 is talking about Christmas trees. Yeah, no, and if you really understand the idolatrous heart of Israel, um, you know, uh, there he says, you know, with one piece of wood, you you uh, with you go in the you know you go pick up a piece of wood uh, with one part of it, you carve it, overlay it with gold fasten it so it does not move, and you worship it. And with the other part of the wood, you take and cook your, cook your lentils, your beans on it. 
doesn't that obviously show something is wrong with a disconnect concerning God? One, you carve your you carve a piece of wood, overlay it with gold, deck it with garland, make it so it doesn't move. Your family worship it; it's your family God. And with this, out of the same piece of wood, you cook your beans. Boy, talk about a kind, a special kind of stupid. Your thoughts. <laughs> exactly. And, and it, Gloria, you know, back there in Jeremiah, um, he's not speaking about Christmas trees there. He's speaking about idols. This is what they would do when they made idols is they would make them out of wood, which means they would cut down a, a tree. And then, of course, they would overlay it with gold and decorate it and do all of this and, and then to worship their false god by bowing down to it. So it's it's really a stretch. <laughs> it's not what Jeremiah or God was speaking about through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. It wasn't Christmas trees, um, you know, because Christmas trees weren't even a thing then, right? So, um, and as far as your question about God the Father, um, what's interesting about that is the Bible reveals to us uh, that the God that the, the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, is one God who exists in three persons. And we know this from the very first verse of the Bible, where it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And the word God there is Elohim, which is a plural word, meaning more than one making up one. It speaks of a unit. That's why when you come to verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, And let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That's God. That's the Trinity speaking to one another. Um, when you come to the New Testament, we know uh, who that Trinity is, who that God is. It's one God made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was actually Jesus who revealed to us that that God, in in the sense of the Father, um, is a Father. Um, you know, Jesus when he came, he explained to the Jewish people um, that the God they worship, um, that that he is actually the Father, and that and that he was his Son, and so. Um, it's really hard for us, you know, to comprehend all of that and to understand that. Um, but when you understand that there's a plurality to God, um, the one, the one way we can, we can try to understand the Trinity just a little bit is the fact that in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, um, this is when God told Moses to tell Israel, he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, what's interesting is in that verse, he uses the name of God three times. The, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. Uh, and, and, but the word one there uh, is the word echad in Hebrew, which means more than one making up one. Again, it agrees with the book of Genesis in that God is one. He's not a singular one, but he's a plurality. Um, and in English, you know, we, we use that, we use the word you the same way. You know, when I, if I say, you know, Gloria, you, I'm speaking just about you singularly. Uh, but then when I'm speaking to my church and, and I'm, and I'm teaching at church, I could look at the whole congregation, which are many and say you. And so we have the same thing in English. Uh, but what's interesting is that the one thing we do have to help us kind of understand the Trinity being more than one making up one is actually marriage because the same word that the Lord uses or Moses uses in Deuteronomy 6, 4, where it says the Lord, the Lord, your God is one. 
What's interesting is that word akkad is also the same word that the Lord used when he told Adam that he and his wife would become one. So the the one biblical example we have of trying to understand the Trinity just a little bit is the fact of marriage, just the way in a similar way. Let me say it that way, that that two people become one in a covenant of marriage, then the Trinity is actually three in one. Um, so that's the one way it helps us understand it. But it's Jesus in the Gospels who comes along and reveals to the Jewish people um, that the God they worship is his father. And so when that's why when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray, when you pray, pray this way or in this manner, he says, our father. And so what he was revealing to the Jewish people is that, that God wants to have a relationship with them, that God originally, that the Trinity originally created mankind for relationship, not religion. And uh, I think that's really, um, really the gist of the whole, the whole thing that we see as God the Father. The only other thing that I would maybe bring up too is just the sense that, um, the, that God the Father is spoken of by Jesus, by the apostles in the New Testament. God spoken of as the Father is because the Son of God, Jesus, submitted to the will of God himself. Um, and so because of that, um, we, we see this idea. It's not that Jesus is less than God, the father, or that he's not as much as God as God, the father. It's just that he surrendered to the will of God, whom he called the father. So there's, there's that aspect of it too. So, uh, it's a great question you bring up Gloria and, um, you know, it's, it's <laughs> be honest with you. It's a little difficult to explain. Because again, our minds really have a hard time comprehending the the real nature of the Trinity. So anyway, Mike, Gloria, I hope that answers it for you. Well, well that wasn't the I, um, I that wasn't the question. The question was because the, the question was the scripture says um, giving thanks to in all things in Jesus' name, and then it says and to God and the Father by Him. Oh, that's easy. That's easy because Jesus said he and his father are one. So, you know, um, there, there's, there's no, uh, there's no contradiction or there's no problem in, in some scriptures saying, you know, to, to give thanks in the name of Jesus or, or anything like that. And then others saying God the father, uh, because, you know, Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, me, the father and I are one. And so when you're praying, you know, and giving thanks uh, to God, you're doing it in the name of Jesus or even, you know, um, in the name of the Father. It, it really makes no difference. That, that's just the same way uh, when Jesus told his disciples, when you go baptize, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, because all three are God themselves. And uh, Mike, I know that you've elaborated on that many times, uh, what that what that whole thing of in the name means. Yeah, in the name of, as you as you find, it means by the by the authority of. That's what in the name of means. Now you have the modalism gang out there that says, "Well, there's no heavenly Father, there's no Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. it's just Jesus only." That isn't scriptural. And if you go to First uh, John two twenty two, and this is maybe to answer your question, Gloria, it says, "He that denies the Father and the Son 
half the spirit of Antichrist. Pretty severe uh, judgment uh, made by the beloved disciple John concerning the denial of your heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Now, when we say, as an example, when Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father, he's not saying, I am the Father, but he is saying, we are in the express purpose, one with another. And again, we have a hard time understanding that, how uh, there could be any three beings so interrelated with each other. Uh, because uh, as an example, you'll if you go to, uh, as an example, Romans 8, 11, um, there uh, it says the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Well, we don't have any problem with that. Also in Romans 8, 11, you read a little bit more, it says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And then if you go to John two nineteen, Jesus said he will raise himself from the dead as well as in verse uh, two nineteen and 22 as well. You tear this temple down, I will rebuild it. He didn't say the Father would rebuild it. I'll rebuild it. Now, I don't know anything that's that in love with each other. They interchange sometimes identities, but they do. And I believe this is why uh, you find the verse that you find there in Colossians 3 and other places in the Bible. Now, we know that um, Jesus surrendered his authority to the Father when he came and was born here on this earth. Do you really think they could have crucified the God of the universe? Have Jesus not allowed himself to be in an earthly body? That's what we have to understand here. And that's why it says in Matthew chapter 1, he shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God. And so when we understand that he's God, Jesus said it himself. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed to be the I am there. Verse uh, uh, John eight fifty nine. they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because claiming to be God was a capital offense, required the shedding of blood, their blood, who did it, uh, to be forgiven. Uh, or or to be cleansed, the, the land to be cleansed. So this is why you find these verses this way, and I believe it just bespeaks of this wonderful unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we find back in the book of Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the word, earth. The, the word there for God is Elohim. It's actually speaking of three and then let us make man in our image. Glory, I hope that helps. And uh, Merry Christmas to you. Stay in line. Send you out some books, some DVDs. We're coming up on a break. We'll be back for more right after this. It all came down to the ultrasound. And I saw this little lima bean looking thing with a halo. When this mom came to a preborn center, a baby wasn't really in her plans. And I got to hear the heartbeat and I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. After hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her baby on ultrasound, this mom's plans changed. My choice to become a mom, hear those little footsteps running down the hallway every morning is all because I had an ultrasound. 
um, it saved my life and hers. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound, she is 80% more likely to choose life. Preborn's network of clinics are the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and have rescued over 270,000 babies. To learn how you can rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too, for over 30 years. It's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing. If you join before December 30th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another 10% off all of 2024. That's 12 months of savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline is December 30th. So call now. You'll save even more. Here's the number. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. back to part two of Every Man Answer here on this Monday. Wishing everybody a very Merry Christmas as we count down the week before Christmas. And so we want to just once again uh, just encourage you. Jesus is the reason for the season. Great opportunity to share with your friends and family over the um, Christmas holidays. And again, maybe they'll stop and see that Christmas spells his name. Just a thought. Let's go to John. Oregon, hi, welcome. Good. How may we help? Yeah, I was calling because I was calling, but the we can't really hear you. We're catching about every other word, and the volume is extremely low. Uh, you want to try it again, and maybe we can answer your question. Okay. Hey, yeah. there we are. Good. Yeah. How come? Um, yeah, I was calling to just let you guys know that the tumor was taken out of my head. Yes, they, yes, yes, yes. They, they theorized they'd been in there for like 15 possibly years. Oh, my. And uh, every, we prayed in the First Baptist Church that it wouldn't be attached, and it wasn't attached. And um, as soon as you were talking about the temple, I lost you guys and couldn't hear you anymore. Well, I'm 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 glad you called, and I hope you can hear us now. And uh, unlike the uh, nine lepers, who the ten lepers that were healed, only nine came back. One came back and said they were grateful and thank you. The other nine, Jesus said, "Where are they?" He noticed that they did not come back and say thank you. And John, I I really uh, I really take your call as a thank you to the Lord for touching your body. Yes, He did. He's an awesome God. And I did have one other question, too. Okay. The question is, the temple, you know, I had thought that that was going to be, you were talking about, that was a different uh, 
dispensation because the Antichrist was needed to be set up in the temple and that he would be the abomination of desolation, set himself up to be God, and then the nation of Israel would realize that and they would not um, have anything to do with him because they knew that he was a false prophet. And, and uh, So anyway, I was wondering if the fact that that temple is a special thing that the Antichrist is going to do, and he's going to personate and um, persecute the nation of Israel and take all their sacrifices away. And um, I know that we can see the seasons, but we do not know the time nor the date that he will come back. And anybody that sets that time and date is wrong. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. We we don't know. Now, again, knowing the season, and again, when you go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, you go to the Temple Institute, where they're making every single part for reinstituting worship there in their temple that's not yet built, but they know it's going to be built, I believe that we are getting very close. Now, what starts the tribulation period, and I think everybody needs to always remember this, it's not the collapse of America or the American dollar or the rapture of the church or, um, you know, something else. The, the, the tribulation begins, according to Daniel chapter 9, with where it says he, not with capital letters, not speaking of God, but the Antichrist, makes a covenant with Israel for one week. That's a seven-year period of time in the understanding there in Daniel 9. Now, because of that, um, I look for possibly uh, the abomination which makes desolate could very well be the dedication of the temple. Three and a half years into the Antichrist reign as he befriends Israel. And right now, you can see why Israel would really appreciate a world leader that's a close friend right now. Again, as I shared earlier, you have all these people clamoring, uh, Kamala Harris, all of them, for a ceasefire for Israel, but yet you don't find anyone telling Hamas to surrender. They are who started the war. Hamas did. Tell them, everybody, to surrender, and that will bring it into the war. But they won't do that. Because you see, our whole system is corrupt. And that's where the problems come. Imagine a world leader that would befriend Israel and, and actually help them make a covenant, very possibly the Temple Mount, so they could build their third temple. And they're constructing it, they're building it. And then imagine on the dedication of the Temple, very possibly. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but there's some reason, there's some reason that the Antichrist goes into the temple there three and a half years in, and it sounds like, as you would read, initially welcomed into the temple. Why would that be? Well, understanding the building of the temple, how long it takes, the construction thereof, and all those things, I wonder if it would be on the dedication of the temple, or uh, as a very possibility, maybe uh, it is operating, but then they have the formal grand opening, if you will. And that's where he makes his declaration. He himself, a picture of himself or his name, is placed in the temple, and he is declared to Israel and the world that he is God and must be worshipped as God. The very religious system that he created, the chrysalum, the coexist,
to unite the nations, he scraps and says, no, now you worship me. Israel's eyes are open. Jesus said, don't even go back in your house to get your coat. Run as fast as you can. I believe the Antichrist knows he's not going to be accepted by Israel. I think he knows that. And I think he's there with swift retaliation so that he would not suffer global humiliation when the very nation that he made the peace treaty with, that he made the deal so they could build their temple, now turns on him. Well, he's not going to tolerate that. And it says, run for the hills. Now, remember, up to just a few, maybe 7,500 years ago, this would have been kind of a ludicrous statement. Because in conquering a city, it would sometimes take days, weeks, even months to get in every burg, to get in every place, to completely take over the city. Jesus said, you don't even have that convenience. Run as quick as you can, which tells me there's going to be modern warfare initiated upon the nation of Israel for the rejection of him being Christ or the world leader or God, if you will. And Jesus said, run as fast as you can. With the advent of surface-to-air missiles, missiles launched from jets in the air that that may already be in the air when he makes this declaration. Um, The Bible says you got to get out as fast as you can. And um, understanding his swiftness, it's, 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 um, this is where Israel runs to the Red Rock City, I believe, of Petra. And there God prepares this place for them to take care of them. Now, it's interesting that in John chapter 14, he said, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That word prepare is a predetermined place of refuge, a place of your home, a place where you reside. It is interesting to me in Revelation chapter 12 that it says that God has prepared a place for them. The word prepared there in the very first part of of Revelation chapter 12 is the exact same word prepared. Both places God has specially designed to take care of them for the remaining three and a half years. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And John, you know, there's an interesting connection here between the rebuilding of the temple and the Antichrist. And let me share this with you. The very first time I went to Israel was back in 2010. And we were actually at the Western Wall that they call the Wailing Wall, which is the closest place Uh, that the Jews can get today to the Holy of Holies, and they go there to pray. And what's interesting, we were there on on Shabbat, which is the Sabbath, and there were tons of Orthodox Jewish people there praying during the Sabbath, worshiping the Lord. It it went from prayer to breaking out in, in this worship and singing and dancing. It was really, really incredible. And, uh, in fact, Mike, I was, I was there with your brother-in-law, Gerald. And uh, we were there, and we were talking with some young, they were about early 20s, young Orthodox Jewish men. And we asked them this question. We asked them, how will you know the Messiah when he comes? And here's what they said. He will build our temple. 
That's what they told us. Yes. That's who they're mm-hmm. looking for. They're looking for someone to come and build their temple, and that's how they'll know the Messiah, you know? And so you can just see the preparation, the preparedness of the Jewish people, how their hearts and minds, you know, are being prepared really to receive the Antichrist when he comes. And that's how I believe we can we can see when we read the scriptures what Jesus said, what the book of Revelation says, what Daniel said, and what Paul said uh, concerning the Antichrist and him coming in, committing the abomination of desolation and all that. We can see it being already prepared in the hearts of the Jewish people because that's what they're expecting. And I really do think, Mike, like you said, either the Antichrist will be part of the dedication of the temple or he'll be the one to build it, and they will they will think – this is the Christ because, again, um, you know, it's my belief. Now, I know some who disagree with me, but it, it is my belief. The more I study the Bible, I, I come to the idea that the Ezekiel War of 38 and 39 um, is probably going to happen most likely after the rapture. It could happen before the rapture, but if it happens after the rapture, um, that would give the Antichrist a really, really good reason to come to the nation of Israel and to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's make a, let's make a peace treaty here. Let me, let me help bring peace to you and all of your neighbors and all of those who are against you. Um, as it says that he will do in Revelation, well, in Daniel chapter nine and also in Revelation chapter six, when the first seal is open and the Antichrist comes on the scene riding a white horse. And bringing peace, which we know is not Jesus Christ, because he comes at the end of the tribulation on a white horse to to make war and judge. Um, so that's what the, the Antichrist will do. And so when you understand that the Jewish people are looking for the Messiah or, or for the one who's going to build their temple to be the Messiah, you can see very quickly and easily how they could be uh, deceived in believing that the Antichrist is the Messiah. So, Mike? Yeah, what's interesting is Revelation chapter 11. And this is where John is commanded to go measure the temple. Mm-hmm. Do not measure the outer court. It has been given to the Gentiles. Well, who are they? What's that? It has been given to the Gentiles. I believe that it's probably the outer court. Now, in in the days of the 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 uh, first and second temple, there was a place as far as the Gentiles could go. It was the outer court. In order to go into the inner court and and then into the holy holies, which was reserved for the high priest. That you had to be a follower of Yahweh. But the Gentiles could come as far as the outer court. Now, there it tells you it's been given to the Gentiles. And this is probably part of the peace treaty that he makes, no doubt with probably the Islamic world where the Dome of the Rock Mosque currently sets. Now, could something happen to the Dome of the Rock Mosque that be annihilated in Israel? Very possibly. But I would rather believe that that the outer court is where, uh, and from what we can tell from what uh, historians tell us, the outer court is really where the Dome of the Rock Mosque currently is. Now, imagine a man coming along, negotiating a peace treaty with the, with the Arabs on that Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is, allowing Israel to build their third temple, and, and uh, this place that's holy to 
uh, both the Jew, Christian, and, and the Arab. This man of peace has finally negotiated a Middle East solution. You see, I believe it's going to be very similar to that. Now, I believe the Ezekiel 38-39 war is before uh, the tribulation begins because yes. Ezekiel yes. 39 says they'll burn the weapons for seven years. I cannot see them burning the butt stocks of AK-47s and barrels of, uh, of fuel for the tanks that they captured from Russia, uh, uh, Persia, which is Iran and Iraq, uh, Ethiopia, Libya, the Balkan states, Turkey, and all that, into the millennial reign of Christ. So I believe that the 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 um, Ezekiel thirty eight thirty nine war is before the tribulation begins. But I believe it's a key part, and here's why I think it is. The Bible says that God's fury arises in his face in Ezekiel 38, and he destroys five-sixths of this invading army, this coalition that comes to scrape Israel off into the sea. God fights for Israel. And what is amazing to me in this is the Islamic world in which Allah will deliver Israel into our hands, completely humiliated. I believe the Antichrist is going to also befriend the Arabs as well, because this is going to be a humiliating defeat. Now, Zacharias says their tongues consume in the holes in their, uh, their, their, in their mouths, their eyes in their sockets before they hit the ground. Those that come against Israel, the Bible says. That's the same effect a neutron bomb would have, where it excites the water molecules, and being your tongue and your eyes are the major part of that that would be seen by others, it says their eyes are consumed in their sockets while they're yet standing, their tongues in their mouth. Now, understanding that a neutron bomb has a much lower radiation uh, aftermath, a residue, than an atomic bomb does, it's very possible that Israel has placed some of these neutron bombs in their hills around Israel so that if there is an invading army, they can detonate these and literally destroy tens, hundreds of thousands of soldiers almost immediately with little atomic residue left over. And so when the Bible says this, and God fights for them, now there's a lot of other events. The, the Bible talks about this fire and brimstone. Is that describing what would happen in a, in a neutron bomb uh, explosion? I don't know. I don't know whether it's God-initiated or man-caused. Whatever it is, God allows it to happen, and Israel is victorious. It is interesting to me, consolation prize, that they get to keep their temple mount, because actually they're, they're defeated. Uh, the Jews do. I mean, the Arabs do. And very possibly, then they would be able to build their temple. So both the Jew and the Arab will have respect for the Antichrist. So as this all goes along, friends, this is going to get more and more revealing. Uh, Jeff Smith, Chuck Smith's son, I was talking to him a couple of months ago, and he said, you know, I can't imagine living at the time of Jesus, seeing all the miracles, people coming back to life, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. 
What an exciting time to live in that era of time of Jesus's walk on this earth. But then he said this, he said, but you know, I think we're living in exactly exciting times as well, that all the things all the way through the Bible that lead up to the end of man's efforts to govern himself, we're seeing these unfold before our eyes. The nation of Israel, born again, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, just as Jesus said it would be in Luke chapter 21, which completely knocks the wheels off the bus, off the uh, off the um, the uh, uh, the gang that says that oh uh, you know replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. No, not going to happen. Doesn't happen. No, Israel is still God's time clock. Jerusalem is in particularly mentioned by Jesus. He said the generation that sees these things in Luke 21 will not pass away till they're all fulfilled. So we're living in some really exciting times. And John, I hope that answers it for you. Yes, it does. God bless you. Stay in line. Send you out the movie Jesus, a couple other books, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Let's go to Greg, Boise, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. Uh, my question is uh, with James 4, yes. verse 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, my text says, Be troubled with sorrow and weeping. Let your laughing be turned to sorrow and your joy to grief. That verse hits me like a freight train, and I can't seem to get out of that mindset. It, 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 I, I don't understand why. If I'm walking with God, I have a personal relationship with God, I wouldn't be conducting myself in that manner. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, your answer is in verse 8, the verse before it. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, here's the answer to your question. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's not you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. This is addressed to those who are double-minded and are sinners. Very clearly, it says that. Now, you have to remember, the book of James is a corrective letter. Whether it be somebody comes into your in your assembly with fine apparel on, you say, oh, you set up here where everybody can see you. Somebody comes in with vile apparel on, you say, oh, sit in the back where no one will look at you. Uh, you look at uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. See, what he's saying here is there are an address to those who love God in this message, in this book of James. And then there's the corrective part of it that for you that are sinners, that are unrepented, that are double-minded, lament, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You see, James tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So I believe your answer there is just simply the verse before it and realizing the book of James is a corrective letter to those who love Christ. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. And Greg, what you have to understand is when you read beginning in verse one and you read that chapter, you'll see that the believers that James is writing to is they have tension between them. They have it says they're actually uh, are warring against each other, fighting against, against each other because of their own lusts. Their their own selfish desires is causing division among them as the body of Christ. And so what he's doing then is he's telling them how to remedy that. And how do you remedy division in the church? 
humility. Everybody has to humble themselves to God and submit to him first. And then when our heart is right with God, then our heart can be right with each other. And so that's why as you go on, he says in verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God. And that's why he brings up this language. This What you see in verses 8 and 9 is language of repentance. Uh, as Mike read, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then when he says lament and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your uh, and your joy to gloom. That's Old Testament language. That's the kind of language that the Old Testament prophets used when they were calling on the nation of Israel to repent of their sins. So the language here is language of repentance. And what did they have to repent from? From their own selfish desires that was causing division among them. And the only way to, to remedy division in the church and selfishness is for everyone to humble themselves uh, to one another, but you really can't do that until you humble yourself to God first. Get right with God, then you can get right with others. And so that's the language there. Mike? Amen. I hope that helps. Yes, sir. Thank you. Stand in line, Aaron. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. Merry Christmas to you. Let's go to Greg. Also, uh, let's go to Aaron in Boise, Idaho. Got the two Boises mixed up there. Sorry. <laughs> Aaron. Hi and welcome. God bless you, brothers. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so I have a question uh, in Revelation where um, it talks about the two witnesses yes. um, that are going to be um, on earth. Um, and I, I've heard a lot of things um, regarding that. And uh, I heard that it's either going to be um, Moses and Elijah, or it's going to be like believers that are saved during the tribulation and stuff like that. And I just wanted to see if you could set, shed some light on that and, Yes, um, and and very quickly, uh, so you know, I've heard that where the the two witnesses are actually the church and stuff, absolutely false. Do not buy into that. That's a lie. Right. Uh, this is adding to God's word. They need to read Revelation chapter twenty-two to find out what happens to people who twist God's word like that. It's very clear. It is two of the prophets that come back to life. Now, one for sure is Elijah. Jesus himself said that, that Elijah comes before the great and notable day of the Lord. So we know one for sure is Elijah. Some say, well, it could be Moses because of the kind of plagues that are uh, issued upon the earth. That to me is not a valid argument because we're just simply talking the same God, whether it's Moses or whether it's Elijah or whether it's anybody else, the same God does the same miracles. I mean, we have a miracle working God. Miracles did not cease in the last chapter of the book of Acts. They didn't begin in Acts chapter 2. They're all the way through the Bible. So I have to discount that. But there are two people in the Old Testament that did not die under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, that being the new covenant. The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God and was taken, and Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind like a fiery chariot. So I believe it's those but it is absolutely not a church, not a group. Very clearly in the original language, it is singular speaking of these two prophets that then stand on their feet after they're slain and brought into heaven. We're all out of time. Hope that answers it for you. Stay in line. We'll get you taken care of. Thanks, Scott. Keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. 
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 